Light content warning, we are discussing bomb threats and active shooters with my expert today. We aren't graphic or unnecessarily crude, but the topic and conversation can be a bit intense for some members of the audience. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Daniel Dluzneski. Daniel worked with the Secret Service for 24 years. Let's just acknowledge the incredible service record on that alone. He was part of the team that protects the highest-ranking members of our government for over two straight decades. From all accounts, the Secret Service is one of the most particular in the world when it comes to picking their officers. Not only that, but he was part of the bomb unit, partnered with a service dog, and directly responsible for the safety of the presidents, vice presidents, and their families. I'd have thought the man would want a break after all that, but instead he took his talents over to the public school systems to ensure our nation's children were being better protected at a time when it's all we hear about on the news. Daniel has now written a book called The First Five Minutes, a school shooting survival guide for administrators and teachers, and is trying to get everyone involved in the conversations that can reduce tragedies anywhere in the world. Let's hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Welcome to the show, Daniel Dluzneski. Thank you so much, Colton. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to uh, talk about this important subject. Uh, the reason that I actually uh, got in contact with your show uh, was because you talk about just the simple, basic interests and uh, basically dumbing it down to, look, this is, this is what we need to keep ourselves safe. So uh, my book is called The First Five Minutes. The school Shooting Survival Guide for Administrators and Teachers, specifically focus on school active shooter survival. So this can carry over into your personal life. I like to have it. So it is not only interesting for teachers and administrators, but for parents and students also, because when you get to middle and high school, uh, you have just as much right to keep yourself safe as the adults in the room. So uh, it's a short book. It's a handbook, a guidebook. It's only 77 pages long. It's a very easy read. I wrote it like I talk. So it's not an interesting book. It's not, it's not as dry as some of these administration books. But I think it's something that uh, you would get something out of because there is a lot of the misinformation out there and a lot of things that they talk about active shooter um issues and events that happen at schools and what to do and, and what the training is. And I really just broke it down. Uh, and that's why the reason why it's called the first five minutes, is because uh, according to the FBI statistics, and I know it goes back a ways, this is 2014, they don't add up these, this data until they've got some number of years of data. But the F according to the FBI, uh, an active shooter event uh, happens within the first three to five minutes, and then it's normally over. So the reason I made it uh, the title of the first five minutes is because those five minutes are when you have to keep yourself safe. The good guys are coming, but it's going to take them some time to get there. Before they get there, you're going to have to keep yourself safe. 
So if we could break down uh, actually what would happen uh, when we do have what's called a lockdown in a school, it's actually pretty easy, uh, I say easy, to do. And you have to keep your mind uh, set for something like that. And I've dealt with a number of teachers. My background, we didn't talk about that, Cole, but uh, instead of going into this, I could tell people my background. I've got 24 years of experience with the Secret Service. And uh, when I retired from there, I moved down here to Florida. And I joined the Pinellas County School System in St. Petersburg. And the school system here is the seventh largest in Florida and 26th largest in the United States. I've got over 100,000 students and 140 schools. And I was the main focus, the only one who dealt with that. I didn't have a staff. I was uh, the emergency management coordinator for the school system. And they had just to kind of break it down a bit of what I dealt with when I first came here, they had a system that really was just an announcement. Okay, uh, we've got an announcement. We're going to go into a lockdown and uh, everybody be quiet. And then we'll make the announcement when it's over. And it was just completely wrong because all those steps along the way, uh, if you had someone with evil intent, um, they were going to get into the school. So I had to go to each of these schools. And then finally, when if I had the, a broad audience, explain to them that, look, there's different things we have to do in order to make sure everyone stays safe. The number one thing that I had an issue with was codes. They're still using codes now in the United States, and I really don't understand. And we're trying to get this. I say we in, in the community here of uh, emergency management and school uh, safety of using codes. And I have two people that are uh, doctors and nurses, and they say, you know, even themselves when they're in the hospital and they'll throw out a code with uh, a color they still have to take a step back and wait a minute, what was a code white again? And what was a code purple? Everybody knows code blue or code red, but the other codes that they had, and they would have little reference cards to look at. They admitted it, like, hey, I had to look at a reference card. Oh yeah, code white is this. And that's what was happening in the schools. I would go to these schools and I say, okay, tell me how you would run your lockdown drill. Said, okay, first thing we do is we get on the loudspeaker and we say we're in a code red. Okay, so what if you have someone here in the school that is a parent, uh, that's a, a worker, a maintenance worker, that's a visitor, uh, that has no idea what a code red means? They know it means something, something probably bad. But they have no idea what it is. I said, we have to go back to just using simple words. If you're in a lockdown, that's what you say. We are now in a lockdown. Use simple words. We're in a lockdown. And they, boy, did they fight that. They just couldn't understand, like, wait a minute, we've been using codes for probably since Columbine. And I said, well, you have to stop that. I said, because it, it, it doesn't make much sense and people don't know what's going on. I have there in the book, I have a it's 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 a humorous story, even though this is not a humorous subject. I had an elementary school. I went to them and I said, OK, what do you do for when you go into a lockdown? Well, we get on the loudspeaker and remember, it's an elementary school. You're dealing with school children. I get it. But they go over to the loudspeaker and they say, the pony will be delivered today. And I just looked at it with a straight face. And I said, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and they said, well, we wanted to make it so it sounded like a good thing. You know, and the kids are excited, like the pony's getting delivered. But it was the opposite. It was a bad thing. I said, no, you can't do that because people be like, 
<laughs> really? There's a pony being delivered today? No, we have to go into a lockdown. I said, please, stop. No, use the word lockdown. It's okay. No one's going to panic or faint. Just use the word lockdown. So it, that took a number of months uh, to get them away from using codes and using whatever other words they had out there. The process then is you do, you go over the loudspeaker and you say, we are now in a lockdown. Once that happens, everyone in the class will, yes, turn off the lights. You will turn off your computer. You will sit quietly. The door will, if the door is not already locked, which is something again, that has changed across the country. Uh, having the classroom doors locked during uh, class time. Lock the door. Door needs to be locked. They'll usually have a little window. It'll be a real narrow window, and they need the window in the door so if during a fire, the fire department can see inside. So you will cover that window on the door, and you'll sit quietly on the floor in a corner away from the windows, and you will just wait. And you will silence your phone and uh, your computer so there's no light in the room. And that's that's basically it. Now, as you're waiting, you just stay quiet. You're going to hear all kinds of bad stuff. I said, don't panic. As teachers, just you keep your students calm. It's okay. The good guys are coming. And especially during a drill. And this is some of the issues I had for a lockdown drill because I try to put out there, you drill as real as possible. And there are some agencies that go a little bit beyond that by having, you know, fake weapons using blanks. No, I don't mean that far, but drill as close as possible to the real thing. So at the end of the drill, <clears throat> excuse me, you need to have people in your system, your school system that have keys, especially if it's a big school. And you will use different zones to go and unlock the doors. You have to go and unlock the doors. You cannot make an announcement and say the drill is over, everything back to normal. Because you may have someone with evil intent that either kidnaps or holds someone hostage and tells them, go ahead and tell them it's, it's safe because I want them to come out and I can start picking students off. You do not listen to any announcements. You don't listen to any alarms. You don't listen to any of that. You don't listen to anyone telling you outside your door, it is safe. It's okay to come out. None of that. The only time it'll be safe is when the police or an administrator comes and uses a key to unlock your classroom door, sticks their head in and says, the drill is over. Give me a few minutes so I can unlock the entire school. And then we go back to teaching. So, in order to do that, it has to be run properly. Having this idea, and Colton, we'll get back to, to this in a minute, but what I found was, and I tell you, teaching is, it is one of the toughest jobs in the country now. I mean, it really is because of the pandemic, uh, pay issues, the pressure under these teachers, and now they got to worry about being shot. Um, it's, I'm telling you, it, it's, you, you may have second thoughts. Again, you know, I, I, don't want to put out there this, oh my gosh, these active shooters are everywhere. They're, they're going to get you. It, it's not that. And there's no reason to panic. It's just, it, there's a reason to be prepared. That That's all. So when you have something like that, uh, when these teachers uh, have to go through this, I mean, it's bad enough they're under pressure because I'm sure it's across the nation, but especially here in Florida, each school has a grading system. So every school, you know, A through F, and there are F schools. 
And my gosh, if you're working at F school, you're under pressure to get that grade up because there's a possibility the school be shut down. You lose funds, you lose students. It, there's a lot of pressure on administrators to uh, get that grade up. So you have to think, you have to balance. Okay, do I spend more time teaching in order to get the grade up or do I spend a little more time on safety and security to make sure the kids are safe? Fire drill, as you and I know, fire drill takes, oh my gosh, if it takes 20 minutes, that's a long time. And that would be in a big school in order to get out and wait till everybody's clear and then let everybody back in. That takes hardly any time at all. Lockdown drill, you're talking probably 30 to 45 minutes. Um, the best I've done at, at a high school with a, a thousand students was, was like 35 minutes. And that was like perfect. I mean, it was like bang, bang, bang. Everything worked perfectly. Uh, and that's the reason you drill, because you're going to find things that don't work so perfectly. So it takes time. You're taking time away from teaching. And I found that like it's human behavior when you tell someone or you tell a system, hey, we're going to be running a drill, okay? And we're going to run the drill between 10 and 10, 11 o'clock, okay? Well, what happens, it's human nature. People will pre-prepare because you don't want to take away from the teaching time. They're under so much pressure to teach. I got to go through the stinking lockdown drill. It's going to take all this time. Now I got more homework. I got tests that are coming up. I got papers. I got a grade. It's like, God, can we just get through this? So what they will do is they were pre-prepared. They will close the little uh, window in the door. They will already have the lights turned off. They will already have the computers turned off. They are ready to get this lockdown drill over with, please, gosh. And it, it just, it didn't help. I, I didn't think it helped in any way at all to do that because it just became the mindset of just let's get this over with. And what schools did is you skip corners. Uh, instead of going to unlock the doors, just make the announcement. Hey, drill is over. Go back to work. Go back to school. Everything's good. And I said, well, what's going to happen during a real event is the same thing. You do the same thing in a real event as you do as a drill. You're going to run into issues. I've had elementary school principals, and you empathize with these people. They, these kids, you've got small children. In the back of their minds, all they're thinking is Sandy Hook and Uvalde. That's, that's all they're thinking. And they want to keep their kids safe. They just want it, it. It is their family. It's their kids, you know. And I've had principals during a drill who would go out and check the doors to make sure their teachers have the doors locked. And I said, well, okay, uh, so what are you going to do during a real event? And without hesitation, I'm going to go and check the doors to make sure the doors are locked. I said, well, remember what happened to Sandy Hook? The principal came out and challenged the shooter. I said, I, unless you're a law enforcement person, you're dead. They're going to kill you. Well, no, I'm still going to go out and chat. I said, no, no, you're not. I said, you were going to sit in your room, lock your door, and wait for the cavalry to arrive. Oh, I can't do that. They're my kids. I said, well, are you armed? No. Well, how are you going to help them by running around the campus, checking if the doors are locked? I, I tell you, Colton, they were adamant about this. This was just so passionate with them, they literally would be in tears going, I, I can't, I, I have to do something. That kind of person, I'm, I'm used to that personality being in law enforcement, that alpha personality, that wanting to do something. It just felt wrong for them to sit in their office and lock the door while all this shooting and screaming and yelling was going on around them. It, it, didn't, it didn't compute with them. And I had to sit them down and, and explain. I said, okay, 
we'll go through the step by step. Let's go through the drill. I'm going to have you sit in the office and I'll, I, what I would be, I would, I would say, I'm just a ghost. I would just go there and, and check the doors themselves. I said, well, if you're so worried about that, at the end of the drill, that's when you would check the doors are locked. I mean, no big deal. Everybody come with keys, check the doors locked. Yes, it's locked. Okay. If they didn't lock the door, hell, those teachers would remember it right away. I had, I had one school where we made an unannounced drill. And I know there is some discussion and debate about making announced or unannounced drills because you get into the issue of a child will go home and tell the parent, oh, we ran a, a lockdown drill today. You're like, you what? Nobody told me that I, this is wrong. I'm going to call the school and, and take care of this. And it, it just, it, it's a real fine line. I like unannounced drills because it shows issues that you need to fix. And that's what happened at this one school. I got there and they did an unannounced lockdown drill. And there was a teacher who forgot her keys. And at that time, we had not put in place that the classroom doors need to be locked during class time. So here she was. And what she did was, and, and I, you know, it, she, she wouldn't have survived, but she just basically held the door with her own weight, so just holding the door so it, it wouldn't open. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I said, it, and do you think after that, that teacher remembered her keys every time to come to school? So whenever some of these, and that's why you drill. And I know it's difficult. I, I know the difficulty of running a lockdown drill monthly, but in in Florida, especially, we had monthly fire fire drills. Well, when is the last time there was a fire that killed a child in a school? I mean, you'd have to Google that for years, hundreds of years ago, maybe, you had a child that died in, in a fire. I mean, nowadays, schools are built so well with sprinkler systems and walls that or like an hour or two hours for a fire to get through doors. It just, it just doesn't happen. And yet most of your active shooter drills and lockdown drills are quarterly or yearly. It, it, it's crazy. It should be the opposite. You should be training monthly for these active shooter drills and the fire alarms. Heck, you do it every six months, but it, it's that's something up to the legislature in most of these states. Uh, so it just became an, an issue where you would ask the school. I'd have to go there and ask them, okay, I'm sorry, but at, at that time, I didn't have the autonomy to do that. I just I just did it anyways. I would just go in and say, okay, I'm a, a shooter. I'm here. Uh, what are you going to do? You're going to go into a lockdown. We got to go into a lockdown. Uh, and, and they would just kind of look at me like, are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. You go into a lockdown. What are you going to do? And it most of the time was just panic because they, they had not, they'd forgotten everything. And it just, I wanted to drill properly and I wanted to drill more often because my whole thing especially with my training with the secret service was um, what you call implicit or muscle memory where when something is done over and over again and just to explain that implicit memory or muscle memory is basically what we do every day I mean when you get in the car you automatically put the seatbelt on or button in a shirt or something like that without thinking you do something without you know, conscious, I say conscious, consciously thinking about it, you know, you just automatically put the seatbelt on your button, a shirt, whatever. And I wanted to get to that point of doing these drills where if something happened, if I came up to them and said, I'm a shooter, what are you going to do? It would click in their mind automatically. You would go somewhere else and you would say, oh yeah, I remember my training. This is what we do. We make the announcement, we close the doors, we do this, we shut the lights off, uh, just the whole process. And in order to help Along those lines, uh, within the book, I have a blank uh, emergency plan. 
And it's not what they like to call in the business a plan in a can. It's just a generic plan that any school can use that will put you can put in, into place what you need for your bomb threat, your fire drill, your lockdown drill, uh, all that kind of stuff. And within also within the book, I've got you can download what I made up was and it was actually someone else at one of the high schools that did this um, little credit card size reference cards. And the majority of our schools and teachers and administrators have uh, lanyards with cards that they need to use a, uh, a copier or that they use to have their ID on. So I said, well, this makes sense. I'll just make little credit card cards. They can attach to their lanyard. And when something happens, they can reference it. And on the card, it's got what to do in a lockdown drill, a fire drill, a bomb threat. And it's just an easy reference because... You and I know, and you know, I went through 9-11 at the White House. Um, unless you've been trained in something like that, you're going to forget a lot of stuff. You're going to you're going to panic. You're going to forget what day it is. You're going to forget you know a lot of stuff. You're just you, some people just freeze. And the reference cards, okay, what do I need to do? Boom, 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 and it would just tell you, oh, geez, okay, I forgot. I got to do this, and it happens. Um, I've had. I'll tell you a little story. A coworker of mine. Uh, his wife was an assistant principal at a middle school in a county uh, north of us, Pasco County. And they had an individual across the street who uh, had issues with his mom's boy, current boyfriend. And this individual was schizophrenic, was able to get a weapon. I believe it was an AR-15. It might have been some other type of rifle and just decided to shoot up the neighborhood. Well, as he's shooting up the neighborhood, he starts spraying the school across the street. They obviously go into a lockdown. Now, he had no intention of going to the school, but they don't know that. So they go into a lockdown. And the assistant principal told her husband later on, who passed it on to me, he said she was very up on the safety and security stuff. They did, you know, lockdowns as many times as they could. And she said a minimum of a third of her teachers froze, just absolutely froze and did nothing. And that's my fear that something like that might happen. And there could be stories out there. This might have happened even in Parkland uh, that this happens. And that's human nature. I mean, no one knows for sure. You can't say for sure what you're going to do in an emergency situation. You don't know. Um, everyone's different. And uh, it's just something that when we, I try to explain to, if we could possibly drill more often so you become a little more comfortable and each time you drill you become a little more comfortable and then the next drill you're like hey i got it i i remember doing that i remember we messed up and forgot this and with that kind of information it just would give you more confidence and you would know what to do uh, to keep your students safe and i, I know I, I talked about the principal being upset about not you know not having to travel around the school uh, but I wanted to write the book mostly, obviously, for teachers who are at the front line of this and to tell them, look, I know everyone, every teacher, every administrator in a school wants to keep their students safe, but you have to keep yourself safe first. That's the main important. That's the most important thing. You keep yourself safe first, then you can help other people. I had an incident at a middle school where uh, right during and the, obviously the worst times for this type of incident is arrival and dismissal and lunchtime, because that's when you've got a mass of people coming into one location all at one time. 
And this principal was getting ready for the beginning of school. So she's had students arriving. Well, right across the street, because a lot of school systems have this, they'll have a high school right next to the middle school. Well, the high school went into lockdown because there was a, it turned out to be a rumor, but they didn't know it. There was a rumor that there was a gun on campus. So they went into lockdown. So here's this middle school teacher. Here's this, that they went into lockdown. And it makes sense that they also need to go into a lockdown because they're adjacent to this high school. So she's outside greeting people as they come in. And, and she's like, oh, my gosh, she had a 7-Eleven that was a block away where you had kids there. And then you had the parents driving up, dropping kids off. She's like, and I remember she, her telling me later, later, she says, I had absolutely no idea what to do. She said, my mind was telling me I should lock down and get everybody in as fast as possible, lock the doors. But on the other hand, my mind was like the kids at the 7-Eleven, should I leave them there? Should I try to get them to the school? So she had this guilt trip basically of, you know, whatever I do, it's going to be the wrong thing instead of whatever I do is going to be the right thing. So what she did was she, that's it. Any of the drivers get, go, do not drop your kids off. She got as many kids in as she could and locked the doors. But in the back of her mind, she's like, she was so worried at these kids at the Seven Eleven that they didn't, there's no, there was no announcement outside. There's no like broadcast announcement. Go, Hey, we're going to a lockdown. It's, it's in an interior. And she thought the kids at the 7-Eleven would not know what's going on. They'd be like, what the hell's going on? I got, got to get to school and putting themselves in danger. So nothing happened, fortunately. Uh, it turned out to be a rumor about this gun at the high school. But I remember talking to me um, uh, a few weeks later, and she's, it still was bothering her. She said for days she couldn't sleep because she thought she made the wrong decision. And I told her, look, you either way, you, you, you still made the right decision. Um, but you know, you're going to get into those gray areas where this, things like that happen. Uh, I tried for uh, years, the, the whole entire time I was there, to try to get a lockdown drill during lunchtime because, uh, as you know, that's what happened at Columbine. So it was very important. You've got an area that you've got a mass amount of students. Uh, and what are you going to do if a shooter comes into a cafeteria? I mean, that's you talk about target-rich environment. And, I, man, it, it just... The, the issues they had was, number one, per law here in Florida, students have to have 30 minutes to eat. So now you're taking away from that time. And it, it just I I, it, I just bucked into the administration like, no, we're not doing that. We're not going to take the eating time away from kids. So I tried I, I tried to think of other things. I said, OK, wait a minute. What about if there's uh, a recreation time and it's raining outside. What do they do? Well, we come into the gymnasium. I said, perfect. Can't we bring those kids into the cafeteria? We'll do a drill then. Somehow just get in the mindset of what happens if a shooter comes into the cafeteria. I only got to do it one time in a high school and it, it actually worked out okay because it turned chaotic, which in my mind, chaos kind of works because the shooter doesn't have easy victims. They're just, everybody's just running around like ants, which is fine. That, that, that's fine. They're not sitting in one place, uh, you know, getting shot up. And it, it did, it sort of worked out uh, because what they did was they had um, school personnel and cafeteria help outside in different locations. And they would just pull the kids towards them to get them into safety. So that kind of worked. It was better than nothing. It was something that they could keep in their mind that, you know, um, we'll think about, you know, if it happens, if it ever happens, you know, we'll think about it next time. But yeah, you kind of worry about that, especially arrival and dismissal and, and um, lunchtime. 
of of these incidents of them happening no i may think you're right in you know everything you've said where this is the basics we're not talking about some like advanced program that teachers need to go through that trains them how to be you know a special forces operator inside the school when there's a lockdown you're right. just trying to get like the simplest lock the door turn off the lights turn off your computers silence everything stay safe yeah very minimal things that we should know and you know it makes me think when you're like yeah we planned some of these things they're like oh yeah we're gonna do it at 11 and people pre-prep for those and it's like right. well that defeats the purpose because if they prep for it they don't actually know how much time all that stuff is going to take so then if they have a real incident they're they're going to be even more panicked because they're like well it didn't take this long during the drills it's like well no that's because you cheated on the drills exactly you're exactly right thank you for for mentioning that and it's it, it, you're you're correct uh, i've had uh, incidents where uh, and, and we'll play a little devil's advocate here um, a lot of times I've had actually police officers tell me, well, I don't agree with this idea of locking down because then the kids are sitting ducks. And I said, no, that's no, that's not, that's not right. So, well, he says they're sitting ducks in one, they're all in one corner. Why don't we spread them out through the classroom? So they're not all in, in one place and, and getting shot up. And I said, well, the reason for that is number one, you, you want to keep the kids all together because it's something about just when you're in an emergency situation like that, you want everyone all together. You want to keep them calm. You want them hugging, holding hands, whatever, especially little kids. I'm not talking about middle and high school. This is That's a different subject because these incidents happen in elementary schools. You want these kids as quiet as possible. You want them to be as safe as possible. And these teachers, I tell you, were great. They would come up with games. They would have a leader. They say, okay, today you're going to be the leader of this drill. And I've had... The number of times that I've had, I went through hundreds of drills with these schools, and I would make sure I was there whenever they ran these drills. And at the end of the drill, we would go in, we'd unlock the door, and a lot of times these teachers were—I I tell you—that they were—they were thinking. They most of the elementary school, uh, some of them, the more modern ones, obviously, would have bathrooms in their own classroom, which was great instead of having a kid go out to the hallway down to some, you know, generalized bathroom. And they would double them up. So they would not only not be in the, the classroom, they'd be in another door. So there'd be another door they'd have to go through that was locked. And at the end of the drill, all these little kids all piled up in this bathroom. But so what? They're safe. And they would come out beaming. I would praise them. I said, oh, my God, you guys did such a great job. And they would come out with smiles on their face because they hid from the bad guy. Whatever teachers had said to them. I mean, I don't want to make it graphic, but, yeah, we have to hide from the bad guy. And these kids, though, they're not naive. And, and, you know, it just was something that I, I thought this idea that, you know, well, what are you going to do if it's not a lockdown? You're not going to do something different. And we'll talk about the difference. What happened once I left the organization here in my county school system, they decided to do what Homeland Security had created for businesses. And it's called Run, Hide, Fight. And there's a video out there. The video is probably, oh, my gosh, like 20 years old now of a guy coming in with a shotgun and, and shooting up a business. And it's, you know, this um, narrator with a really deep voice, you know, kind of the guy that does the movie uh, trailers comes in and, and says, OK, if you know, if you can run, you know, run, you know, if you can't run, then you should hide. And if you can't hide, then you should, you know, fight. And they transferred it over to schools. 
And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I'm like, okay, I, the run part, okay, if you're in high school, I get it. You're more sophisticated. You know, you're, you're thinking for yourself. You, you can do that. You know, listen to direction. Middle school, maybe. Elementary school, definitely not. You get to the hide part, we're okay. Once we get to the fight part, it's like, wait a minute. I don't think we're going to have middle and elementary school kids, you know, throwing books at some shooter that enters their classroom. This is no, this is not going to work. And yet they stuck with it. And there are school systems uh, that, you know, emphasize this run, hide, fight. Now, in my county, we thought about it and we did say, look, we can't hold back any longer because. I did want to give the option to high schools to say, look, if there is a possibility, because high school campuses are pretty big. They're like college campuses. They're pretty spread out. And I said, look, if there is an opportunity, you know where the shooter is. You either hear him, see him or whatever, and you're so far away and you can go in the other direction. Okay, fine. Just run, you know, get out. Um, but again, that's it, it, you run into this, this, this liability issue. And we can discuss that also. Again, once I left the county, they decided that they were going to have the option. So what that means is once an active shooter incident uh, happens, they would give the teachers the option and put the emphasis on the teachers of whether locking down or taking your students and running. And I disagreed. I, I mean, vehemently. I said, wait a minute. Now you're going to put the emphasis on the teacher, the teacher themselves, to decide whether they want to run out of the school or lock down. And why would you put that on, on a teacher? Why would you put that on a human being at first? But a human being without any type of training at all, who maybe got two hours, you know, six months ago of what to do during an active shooter event. I said, especially with elementary school kids. I mean, you talk about herding cats. I mean, most of these classrooms, you got 25, 30 kids. That's a lot of kids. And now you're saying to yourself, okay, all right, we've got a shooter on campus. I don't know where he is or she, but I think I heard shots over there, like, you know, on another floor or in another building. I'm going to take my little, you know, first grade kids and I'm going to gather them up and we're going to run out of this building and be safe. Well, you have no idea. You don't know for sure. So now you got to gather them up. And don't you think the sounds that they've already heard, these kids are already upset because you're going to hear shots. You're going to hear screaming. And now you're going to get these kids, probably half of them are crying. The other half are like, I'm not going anywhere. My daddy told me to stay here when there's a, a shooter in the building. So now you're going to try to force them to go out into a hallway, which might already have bodies, which might be blood. I mean, and now you're going to step over bodies to get to an exit, which, and do you think these kids are going to walk? No way. I'm, they're running. And now you're going to gather at this exit and funnel there and try to get out of the building screaming. And it's just, it's a nightmare. It is an absolute nightmare. And why they think this is a good idea, I don't know. Colton, lockdowns have worked. Well, they, they worked even, even after Columbine or even before Columbine. But lockdowns have worked consistently. Over the years, for 30 years now, they've worked. A shooter, when they come in, they have a clock in their head. They pretty much know, as insane as they are, they know that the police are coming. They know someone's coming to take them out or they're going to take themselves out. So they've got a clock in their head knowing they've only got so much time to get as many victims as possible. 
And they're not going to sit there and try to break through a locked door. It, it just takes too long. I mean, it, it, it takes much too long. And even if they did try something like that, I tell teachers, look, if someone's trying to break in the door, it's easy enough to just barricade it. You've got file cabinets, you've got desks, you can get the kids to help you just push it up against that door and they're not getting in because obviously, and it, it, they, they better have doors like this, the, the doors should be open in. So they're not, the doors do not open out. So when they do break the lock, the door has to be forced in. So you just push something against that door and barricade it. Now we can get into other areas about the barricades also, because that's another uh, subject. But this idea that teachers should be not only the pressure they're under, but now you're going to put even more, uh, I guess the, the word would be liability on them to make this decision to, to run. And if some of these kids get injured, hurt, or God forbid, killed, that teacher's got to live with that for the rest of their lives. And now they're going to be sued civilly, even maybe even criminally. I mean, who knows? And now you're dealing not only when they, even when they do these drills of this run, hide, fight, I've heard issues where students have gotten injured and parents are like, what the heck are you doing? Uh, and they're doing these drills with uh, police officers there with blanks, shooting off loud noises and stuff and kids going, I mean, you're just traumatizing these kids for no reason at all when you easily could just just lock down and and just you're done, just drill that way. And both organizations, not only the um, National Psychologists Organization and the National Organization for uh, uh, Special Resource Officers, both say lockdowns should be your number one priority. Yes, in, in high schools, maybe some middle schools. I mean, I, I, I kind of hold back on middle schools because it um, they're not as sophisticated and they really don't listen to direction well. Uh, high schools, you can give that option to the students and, and the teachers if you want to run. Now, what happens was, as we know in Parkland, what happened with Parkland at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, the high school, which is a huge campus, they did do a lockdown drill I think it was the month prior and everything went fine. The, the issue was when they did the lockdown drill, they did not think or they did not um, drill for when the fire alarm goes off. So what happens when this guy, Nicholas Cruz, got there and he was shooting up the building? I don't think it was on purpose. Some people say he pulled the fire alarm. There's other stories out there that say he accidentally set it off you know, with one of the shots. Anyway, during this shooting, the fire alarm goes off. So now you've got people going, well, wait a minute, the fire alarm goes off. We were supposed to get out of the building. And that's what they, part of them did. They got out, they started to exit the building, realized there's a shooting going on and jumped back into the classrooms. But the ones that started to escape because of the fire alarm got shot in the hallway. Um, the other thing that happened was uh, when they when they talk about this run hide fight, some of the teachers got out into the hallway, heard shots in the opposite direction, and said, "Okay, I, I know where the shots are coming from. Let's go the opposite way." But what happened was, what they were hearing were echoes of the shots, so they actually were going towards the shooter when they they tried to leave. So I, I don't agree with this run hide fight in in certain situations. It's it's it only works in certain situations, and again. Uh, the liability uh, for something like that is 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 too great for some of these teachers. So um, that aspect of it, and there's another training out there called Alice, which you've probably heard of, and another one called Alive. 
that they get it more into it's a business environment where you know there's a possibility you may have to fight or confront the shooter or take the gun away from the shooter and no that doesn't work for schools it will never work for schools so I, I just emphasize again it's simpler just to go into a lockdown and drill in that aspect uh just to stay with one thing well and you know, if not- you're in one of these environments that is very high stress because there's a shooter you want to have the most i would think simple unified plan where you're right. like, there is no, we're not giving multiple options. The thought is sit, stay right here, right now, like until, you know, potentially the last moment where maybe you make a, you know, make or break decision. But if everyone across every school in the entire district is told you lock down and you don't go anywhere, there's no confusion. Right. Cause I hear run, hide, fight. And I'm like, okay, so our first thing we're supposed to do is like run out of the building and i'm like that to me feels like a horrible idea you know especially like beyond high school because elementary school like you were saying you know oh why don't we just divide the kids around the classroom like you've got a bunch of scared kids they're not going to deal well being separated from everyone else and the same thing like in any of these situations if you told them to just scatter like there's a certain level of chaos but there's also the shooter does not have to try and find them anymore. They are just happening across them. There's, you know, you're like reducing the workload for your villain. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I I was trying to think and picture like my high school that I went to while we were talking about this. And I'm like, in certain circumstances, I could see like where there would be a time to run because some of our classrooms had two doors. And so it's like, if you hear the gun right outside of one door, like for sure run out the other side. But some of our, our rooms were in the middle of a building. Like there was only one door and it ran directly into the hallway. Like, okay, definitely run is not an option. You know, and we were in high school, like we probably would have fought back, but you know, like you said, in a traumatized situation where everyone's stress is through the roof, who knows what you're going to do. So like your best case is just sit, stay quiet don't move like hope that they are too stressed to try and break through any doors or into any rooms. Yes. Yeah. You're exactly right. And, and I had, I argued that for the entire time I was there and it's still happening now. I I found out and I'm, I don't, you know, I, when I, when I wrote the book, uh, Colton, it it wasn't to make money. It actually was just to raise awareness and, and get people involved in this. And it's very hard. Well, it's very hard to talk about this on a, I want to say on a national scale, even on a local scale, because no one really wants to talk about this. It's something that's really important, but it's, you know, it's a subject that is, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't think because now you get into the area of, like you said, of of people being traumatized or I really don't want to talk about that because we haven't had a school shooting here in X number of years. It's never going to happen here. Uh, Why do we have to talk about this? I know what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, we lock down, we do drills, and and, and that's enough. Uh, we don't need to talk about it. And the only reason it does come up, obviously, is after a shooting. Then it's national news. Then it's talking about what went wrong, you know, who to blame, civil suits, this and that. And then, again, what bothers me more, I guess, is the so-called experts that get on CNN or Fox or whatever, 
And they start spouting out about, again, what went wrong with it, what should have been done. I'm the expert. And I'll tell you, Colton, this industry, um, the, anybody can call themselves an expert. And that's the problem. There is no training. There's no school. There's no certificate. There's no national organization to say, you are a school safety expert and give you the stamp of approval. Most of the people are law enforcement, ex-law enforcement, ex-military, or they're ex administrators, school administrators. So, and they call themselves an expert. And for a number of years, I did not call myself an expert, even though I've been dealing with this for four years and my background and all the drills I've been through, I just thought, no, I'm not. And then when I started talking to these other people through LinkedIn and through some of these organizations, I found out and I looked at their backgrounds. I was like, what the hell? I got more experience than these guys and they're calling themselves an expert and they're, you know, on TV. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. So I said, act with it. I'm going to call myself an expert. What are they going to do? You know, and I went through the local TV stations asking for interviews and I would get an interview, but they would never broadcast it. And the reason they would not broadcast it because their manager would come down and say, we need a, a second opinion. We need a, a someone else to, I guess, debate or discuss why this this me this one guy has this opinion but no one else has well they wouldn't why would they because they're the ones in control i mean the legislature told them no law enforcement is controlled so it's like well you're not going to get the local sheriff to go on and discuss it with you what does he care i mean it, he, it's already in place so i would just argue with them going look how about a panel discussion is there any way we can get a panel discussion on here and i would be glad to sit down with the sheriff with whoever and and talk about this because some of the stuff they're doing is wrong. It, it fell on deaf ears. They just would not broadcast it. And again, in order for that information to get out there it, uh, until an incident happens and you'll get some ex-FBI guy or ex-CIA guy or whoever saying they're an expert on school shootings. And, you know, they'll spout off all this stuff and, you know, they made their money and whatever, or made their money, they pay money to get on there. You and I know that's the only way you get on national TV is by paying to get on there. Or unless you've got some kind of weird reputation that's been going around for years. And there's very few people like that. I mean, I can, on, on one hand, I could name people that I trust uh, that are experts in this industry. Uh, most just are in it for the business and they'll spout off and, you know, and I don't mean to, to laugh. I'm, I'm sorry. But I joined, I only joined Lincoln, LinkedIn like a few years ago because I didn't have a business. I wasn't pushing it. So when I got on, I said, oh, you have to get on LinkedIn to sell your book or get on Facebook. And I said, no, forget about Facebook. I, I, that it just was too politicized. So when I got on LinkedIn and I, you know, said, well, I have my book, blah, 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 this and that, and put on my background and stuff. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. But then I looked at other people there on LinkedIn and it was it was a constant. It, it, if if you've ever gone on LinkedIn and, and it, it was especially you you know whatever category you pick and whoever you follow, and these these people would and I'm sure look, I understand they're trying to raise money. That's what they live on. But the business of just pushing constantly, the the business, it it just it it just bothered me. It was like, all right, I want to promote my book, but I'm not doing it every day, 24 hours a day. And you would get things on LinkedIn. Uh, links to a shooting here or a school place where there was a handgun here or another one where a student was threatened or bullied here. All right. Great information. But again, in the in, in reading between the lines was they're pushing their business and we can go to your school and we can make sure it's safe. And, and we have a whole staff of people. And after a while, I was like, oh, my God. OK, 
all right, I get it. You're pushing a business, but I'm just out there. Just make people aware of this. I'm not, I'm not pushing a business or trying to sell something or having myself come to your school or whatever. I just want to talk about it. I can't even get people to talk about it. So thank God you came along and I've only been on a few podcasts and now, you know, I understand I'm not going to get on Joe Rogan's podcast or whatever, or John Stossel or, or somebody like that. But still, I, I still think it's an important subject. As you can hear from my voice, I'm passionate about it. And it's something that needs to be expressed and told to a lot of these school systems. But as you know, most of these school systems answer to the school board or the legislature. So unless you get changes by, via the legislature, and that's why I pushed this book for parents to talk about, talk to your kids. What are they doing at the school for these, these drills? Are they doing lockdowns? Are they doing run, hide, fight? Are they doing anything? Are they doing it wrong? Are they just making an announcement? Hey, we're in a lockdown in 30 seconds. Okay, lockdown's over, back to school. What are they doing? And again, it probably will never happen at their school, the number of years they're there. But it's better to be prepared and, and just have that knowledge that if it does happen, you know, this is what we're going to do. So, yeah, just trying to get the, the word out that this is an important subject that you're talking about children, you know, the future of our nation uh, to keep them safe. And, you know, I, if, if you've read a little bit about this, you know, other countries a little more serious than us, some of them a lot more serious. I mean, I know Israel, they have actually, you know, armed guards there with AR-15s at their schools, but, you know, it's a little different over there than here. And that's another subject we can talk about, uh, the issue of having special uh, resource officers armed at these schools. And a lot of the schools, because after the, I say after, during the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, after the George Floyd incident, not only were we talking about defunding the police, but we started to take police out of the schools. And there are systems now that still want to have police not in their schools because the students feel traumatized. Well, they're finding out that that's not a good idea because parents especially are saying, no, we want the police in our schools because not only are they trained properly, not only are they trained properly to deal with students, but they know what to do when you have an incident that happens. I mean, they're not there to harass your students or look for, you know, things that are going bad. That's not their job. Their job is to keep protect that school from a bad guy from getting in. And I'm sorry, but that's their main focus. Uh, they're not there for all the, the piddly things that, you know, some of these uh, administrators or, or students themselves even talk about there, there has to be a matter of trust. And if you've got something because of whatever social justice you believe in that you don't trust the police, that's not going to turn out very well because the bad guys know when uh, things are happening. And as you know, most of these incidents, uh, these shooters are either former students or current students. They know the system. They know when students get out. They know which gate is being opened. They watch when there's a drill. They know what happens during a drill. So they've already got the intel. They already got the intelligence of what happens during a school day at a school, which gate's going to be unlocked, which door is going to be propped open so they can step out and have a smoke or deliver a pizza or whatever it is. So when you have something like that and the students themselves 
don't want to protect themselves, then you've got trouble. Because I mentioned in the book, and years ago, before your time, even during my time, we would have student councils. And these student councils would have uh, issues of, you know, hey, let's just take a walk around the school and make sure everything is safe. And that's what should be happening now. I mean, if you're involved with your school, if you have, you know, I don't want to say school spirit, but you want to keep your students safe and, and your school safe, well, why not? Most of these schools have head plan operators, and they're the ones that, again, I emphasize in, in the book, are probably your most important people on campus next to your principal. Um, but they're the observers. They're the ones that see what's going on. They're the ones that notice a broken lock, that notice a door open. And why not? Why can't you have students? You're not ratting anybody out. You're just checking to make sure your school is safe, that make sure the doors are closed, uh, that make sure you know the gates are locked, that the locks are working. Uh, why not? And if you want to keep uh, your students safe and yourself safe, that's what you should be doing. So, again, back to the subject of having police officers on campus. Um, I think it's something important. I think they should be armed. I think they should be on campus. Um, it's just another layer, again, of security. And one thing, you know, it's been going around for years about the layers, the prevention, the preparedness for schools. And yes, there is a layered system. You start with your fencing. You start with your front entrance because you would only have one entrance into that school, not multiple entrances. I understand multiple entrances during arrival and dismissal. That's going to happen. But once that happens and class starts, you have one entrance. And that one entrance, now you this is another subject we get into, Colton. Some of these entrances, they'll have cameras, they'll have buzzers to let people in. It's really a waste of money because, you know, at any time a bad guy could either have someone hostage or follow someone in once the door buzzes. I mean, it's pretty easy. We've seen it in hundreds of movies where this happens. It really is kind of a waste of money. If anyone uh, wants to get into the school itself, it, the door should be open. Let them in. I mean, if the guy's standing out there in camouflage and holding a rifle, okay, we're not going to let him in. But most of the time, 99% of the time, you're going to let the person in. Once you let them in, you force them to come into a lobby area that's secure. And what I mean by that is once you're in that lobby area, you would have glass. It's I want, I, The way I explain it, it's like a bank. You would have that glass with little slots on the bottom so they can pass papers through. And you would have it go high enough so they can't jump on the counter and jump over the counter. And the reason for that is I talk about that is because it's happened. And that's why most of these security things are created, because why is why is that that way? Well, because we had somebody jump over the counter. I had a parent who was going through a divorce, who was arguing with the staff because the mother was supposed to pick him up. And the father decided, no, I'm picking him up, jumped over the counter and started attacking some of the staff. OK, well, now we got to get a barricade there to prevent that. And it has to be at every school, not just the one that it happened at. So when you would come in, you'd have this locked-in lobby area where their only option is to be authorized and buzzed in or they leave. That's it. That's their only options. There's nowhere else to go. So that obviously is an expense, but it's a lot less expensive than metal detectors or having a camera or a buzzer on the front door. Get into the lobby area, check their ID, who are you here to see, whatever. You get a pass. Because, again, that's very important that you're not walking around the school without something on you, some kind of pass. You're registered. You're, you're logged in. 
buzzed in, you're into the school, good to go. Okay. And that has to happen uh, again across the board. Yes, it's expensive, but it, it at least allows you not only to have one area where they come in, but it traps them. So if they have bad intentions, there's nowhere for else for them to go. Okay. So that was one thing. Now, when we get into the area, I mentioned a little bit about metal detectors. There is a there was a school, I think, I, just recently in Ohio that they got a grant. It was like 1.7 million, might have been pandemic funds, and they're going to get metal detectors. All right. Metal detectors have their purpose. I mean, obviously, we see it at the airport. We see it at courthouses. We see it at other places where, you know, you need to check hospitals where you need to come in so you don't have a weapon. It, they work sporadically. And the reason for that is uh, you've got to deal with not only the number of students that are coming into the school, but now they've all got backpacks. Well, now you've got to have a table set up so they can open the backpack to check there's nothing in there. So now you've got a staffing issues. Uh, you've got a time frame issue because now it could take hours to get in, you know, a thousand students in the school to start the day. So, oh, my God. So it's just the cost and the personnel that you need to do this is just it's just astronomical. My idea and what's come up with a lot of other security experts is to have random checks. Random. I mean, you never know when, when you're going to be checked, when your locker will be checked, when you in the classroom will be checked and have uh, mobile scanners, you know, and then that way, this idea of, hey, I can bring a gun into school every day if I want. I mean, they, they don't check for me. And, you know, and the other idea about the metal detectors is, okay. So you got a metal detector. Well, don't you think either, number one, anybody during the school day can open a door and a kid pass through a gun, or he can do it the night before and it'll just sit there, or he can put a backpack. I mean, there's so many ways to get a gun into school or a weapon, a knife, whatever, uh, that will go around a metal detector is, you know, it, it's it's just not worth the money and the time and effort uh, to do that. It, it, I just don't see, it's it's a knee-jerk reaction. You know, parents or people say, okay, we had a shooting, too many guns, metal detectors, we're done. And technology is good in some respects, but in others, not so good. They talk about cameras. Yes, okay, cameras are a good thing uh, in one respect, but cameras normally are put in for look for bad behavior, not to look for a gunman. They're looking for bullying. They're looking for smoking. They're looking for whatever the hell they're looking for, spray painting, you know. Um, if, relatively minor things. Uh, they've talked about some of this training where they said, I don't know if it's ALICE or one of these acronyms, they, they said through training, well, if you get a shooter in the school, uh, we want you to monitor the cameras to tell people where the shooter's going. What? If I got a shooting going on, you think I'm going to stare at some camera? I'm, I'm locking myself down and being safe. I'm not going to watch and tell people where the shooter is. Uh, no, that's not possible. So, the technology is out there with some of these systems. You've got multiple companies. I don't want to say hundreds. Maybe there are hundreds now that have systems that will come in and you pay millions of dollars and we'll be able to put things on your phone. There'll be an app. You just push a button and the police will arrive or push a button and it'll lock all the doors or push a button and it'll do this. Well, guess what? Someone has to push that button. And if they're in the office, and something goes down, it, it still comes back to the human factor of having to push a button or make a phone call or make an announcement. So yeah, again, technology is great if you've, you've got an app on your phone 
that will do all these things and will help you so much. And it's basically hands-free and, and it just will take care of everything. The police are on their way. It, it just, it doesn't work that way. It, it doesn't. I had a company that came in and were espousing about how great they were and we're already in this system. And they came in and they said, I said, well, how does it, how does it work? Does it work off of Wi-Fi? Oh yeah, we'll work off of Wi-Fi. All right, well, it work off of LTE and, and, and for that time, 4G, now it's 5G. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it'll work, no problem. It's okay, let's do a test. So we went to a high school and we did the test. All of a sudden it stopped working. And he's like, well, we're on the school's Wi-Fi. I said, you told me it worked off LTE. Well, it's supposed to. Well, what happened was there were different areas. These schools are so widespread. There were different areas where it wouldn't pick up. So you're sitting on the phone, sitting there, and there's a wheel spinning going, okay, I got a shooter in the building. I had a wheel spinning on my phone. It's like, no. So there's nothing 100% guaranteed about something like that. Yeah, it worked. It, it's it's fun. It, it, okay, I got this system that during the drill, we did this great thing. But during the live active, uh, you know, active shooter event, I just, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it working 100%. I wouldn't want to trust the darn thing. You know, I'd rather have the human factor of, hey, you're locked down. Okay, we're good. I don't need to, you know, this other stuff. It's nice to have the technology, especially if you are locked down, because we tell teachers, uh, you can't, you know, use your phones, put it on silent, but you do need to communicate. I don't care because you're going to have kids communicating anyways. I mean, you, you know, middle and high school kids, they're, they're texting all over the place. Hey, mom, we're in a lockdown. Um, but for the teachers, it, 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 there are things out there which are great, which they can um, contact their administrator and say, I've got so many students. I've got an extra student or I'm missing a student um, and just tell people, you know, OK, this is the deal. This is what's going on. So. Anyways, that's just part. Of, I I talk a little bit about technology, but it, it's it's a good thing in some respects, but don't depend on it. Yeah, you know? it seems like a lot of this comes down to, like, how do you want to use this budget, and how do you get assigned this budget? Because you know, obviously, like teachers are underpaid. I was just talking to one last week that they're trying to get a bill through Congress to get a minimum wage increase, which is insane wow. for a teacher. Yeah. And so it's like, as much as I would love to see all of these improvements go into place so that you have all of your bases covered, we obviously aren't in that situation. So then it becomes like, well, what thing is a bigger deterrent? Like, yes, having metal detectors there is somewhat of a deterrent. Yes, having cameras around is somewhat of a deterrent. But is it way more of a deterrent if we can put security officers in the school? Mm -hmm. Because that would be my thought is like, who is going to walk into a school where around any corner could be an armed guard and just hope that you're going to pull it off right? Like there are trained shooters in the building and their whole job is protect the kids. Like that seems like a pretty major deterrent to me. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's, I try to get the word out that that's how this should happen. And again, it, it comes down to basically common sense of, um, you know, how do we keep them safe? And yes, the issue is that you've got some school systems that say, and again, a lot of it's parental pressure of wanting to do something, you know, the, the knee-jerk reaction of doing something. So schools feel, okay, we'll get metal detectors. Now we've done something, leave us alone. Uh, so that, again, is, like I said, that's why I like parents are... are pretty much in charge now and what's happening across the country. So you need to express to them 
that, you know, uh, we'd rather do something simpler of having school resource officers that are armed rather than spend the money on something uh, frivolous, which, you know, be a metal detector or more cameras or something. Um, so to me, the, it's more like getting the proper locks for your doors, keeping them locked, and then the drills, just training. It, it's more, it more goes back to the training aspect. Yeah, I mean, I want to ask this question because I think you're the right person to ask this to. If I gave you just kind of a blank check, but I said you can only put three things in place, but you get to put any three things in place. Like, what are the first three that you're like, if money is not an option, these are the first three things I'm doing to keep these schools safe. If money's not an option, then definitely the, the training and the taking the time to train. Now, that's that's not a cost wise, but it yes, in the end, it will, you know, add costs because you're taking time away from teaching. But that would be number one thing would be the, the drilling properly and training properly to have those teachers prepared. Secondly, would be the SROs to have your armed security there. And then thirdly would be um, just the idea of having the proper locks on the doors and keeping them locked during, during class time. I mean, that's the basic thing. I don't think having an unlimited budget, I would go the route of the technology or the metal detector uh, because that it, it would be a waste of money. It, it just it wouldn't. You know, I'd rather have, you know, in Florida, uh, for us, it's every thousand students is an SRO. So if you've got up to a thousand students, I think that now you get into two SROs, uh, like for the high schools. Uh, so in middle in um, elementary schools, at least you've got one. So I would add add another one. Now, when you get down to what you say to yourself, well, wait a minute elementary school, you know, you've got one SRO officer there. What is he doing all day? What is he or she doing all day? And you know what? Be officer friendly. I mean, uh, to me, it's like, I want these kids to say, you know, hi and, and just, yeah, be officer friendly. I mean, that's what, what the deal is. It's all about customer service and just having a really good relationship with these kids. Cause you want these kids, especially when you get to middle and high school to be able to come to you and say, Hey, I'm worried about Johnny. I'm worried about Steve. I'm worried about Susie. Something's going on. There's something weird going on. I know them. They're my friend, but there's something weird happening. And again, it's it's a little different. I mean, you know, I, I know you're a little, a little older, but the Generation Z, it's a whole different mindset than what we had when we were in school with the social media, with the pressures, the mental health issues, um, the threat assessment issues. Um, they they just don't communicate like we did, um, even though, uh, you know, they just don't. And it, it's hard for them and it's not ratting out uh, an individual, but I think it's hard for them to just trust someone and go go to them and explain to them, uh, my friend has issues. You know, uh, we need to check into that because I feel I think they feel a failure or they feel uh, whatever it is they feel um, that uh, they're letting someone down uh, and it's the opposite. Uh, they're actually helping that person so they don't do something wrong or do something bad. So um, it's, it's, it's something we ought to get through to this generation that uh, you need to keep yourself safe and the school safe. And it's okay to talk to someone that, people are having trouble and they need help. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those are three very valid picks, 
where you're like, it's training, you know, you have to be trained or you're not going to be able to perform properly. You're giving, I mean, physical guard, like you have put someone on site whose job is protect the kids, even if they spend most of their time, you know, not actually having to do that part of their job. They do, you know, they socialize and they get people to trust them. And that way, if something goes wrong, you have someone you can trust that is there to protect you. And then, and like you said, day, right. And yeah. I'm sorry, I have to get classroom doors. And again, I, you know, I might want to change that up. But I'll, I tell you, I go to these conferences and you'll ask them. And there are certain what we, we have down here, what are called N95 doors. And they're a certain width and length and they're made a certain way and the locks are made a certain way. Um, but that's your first line of defense. So you do need something there that, and I've had people say, no, we, we just have regular little latch lock. Like, well, no, <laughs> you need a deadbolt. You need a heavy door. So um, that's just, you know, one part of it. There's, there's other parts that I would spend the money on too, but for the, the th yeah, I would want the, the doors. Well, I think that's perfectly valid too, to say like the third thing in this list of three, maybe not priority, but the third thing for sure is physical security. Like we are going to, you know, harden our entrances and our exits and, you know, make it just more physically difficult for someone that does want to cause students harm. I think those are three very good picks. But and if, if I can, if I can end with, um, you know, it's people say it'll never happen here. And that, that's still said to this day, which is fine. However, um, the mindset should be, look, if someone has intent to get into your school they're going to get in. There, there's no layers of defense. There's, we're not going to make our schools prisons. And a lot of people have said that, oh, I walked into the, the school lobby and, and I hadn't been here for a number of weeks. And now it looks like a prison, a jail, because there's all this glass and, and it felt claustrophobic. And well, there are certain aspects we have to balance that um, between the safety and having a welcoming environment. Uh, no, I don't want schools to be like prisons. And we don't want to get to that. However, there is no system out there nowadays that's going to prevent someone who really wants to, has an intention of harm, of stopping them. There isn't. You'll just have layers that will slow them down enough to give enough time for the police to get there to take care of it. And that's why um, I say, again, lockdowns are your, your, your best option. Yeah. And I think this has been a very informative discussion, even for people that are not in the US. Like there's a very large international audience for this yes. show. And I think they can take the exact th same things away. Like do your drills, use lockdowns. You can Google lockdown. You know, even if you don't have that same kind of resource, that's an easy Google. You know, having security on site, hardening your entrances and exits. Like these are very easy things that are applicable universally, no matter where you are in the world. And then talking to your kids or, you know, the kids that are in your life about these things, like making sure everyone's, you know, doing okay, because sometimes this is a very stressful environment. You know, something just happened in, in a nearby area and now everyone's stressed about it. That happens. And that's the kind of time when like these kids need to talk and need to know that you are listening and you understand and you're a part of this process just in case. Yes. Perfect. Yeah, that's perfectly said. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for your time. Just one more time. Tell everybody where to where to get your book and 
make yeah, sure they, uh, they leave reviews on Amazon for it. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, again, I found out it's all about the reviews. It's not, you know, uh, it's not the, uh, the sales part of it, but it's called the first five minutes, a school shooting survival guide for administrators and teachers. It's on Amazon. Uh, actually I can probably, I can probably send uh, Colton the link. Uh, it's under my name, Daniel Deleuzneski. I know it's a hard name, but if you just uh, punch in the first five minutes, uh, it should come up. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd appreciate it if uh, people get to look at it. It's on Kindle also and uh, leaving a review. So that, that'd be great. But thank you so much for your time. And uh, again, it's a subject uh, that is important, especially if you have children. And uh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Do you feel more educated after this episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast? If so, please take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. It really, truly helps. If you really liked it, remember to subscribe for more episodes every week and check out the now over 100 episode backlog. Let me know what you'd like to hear by reaching out and emailing me, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or send a message to me on any of the show pages like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else you find me. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. We are just over halfway through this month, so here are the updated January rankings. Number one, the United States, led by top states Texas, Oregon, and California. Number two, the United Kingdom. Number three, Australia, now led by Victoria, shaking things up. Number four, New Zealand. And number five, Canada, only overtaking Thailand by, and get this, literally a single listener. What a race so far. Canada is currently led by British Columbia, ascending to the top province spot over longtime champion Ontario. That's it for today. I'll see you all Thursday, where we'll find out how to become a TED Talk presenter. Bye bye <laughs>